Hey, Whipsters, this is the Women in Pants podcast, helping you overcome your work history gaps. I'm your host, Shayna Brazier. This episode is an interview with Lisa Broom from My Financial Girlfriend. Lisa is amazing. And since taping this episode, I have personally started working with her as a financial advisor, and she is so fun to work with. I have so much more money than I thought I had, and I highly recommend setting up a free consultation with her. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can get updates when new episodes airs. Now for the show. All right. Welcome, Lisa Moonbrum with my financial girlfriend to the Women in Pants podcast. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing really well. Thanks. Uh, good Thursday, almost the end of the week. So that's good. Yes. Yeah, surviving all this authentic Pacific Northwest weather. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, we invited you on to our podcast because we think your work with um, educating women in their finances is important um, mm-hmm. and much Absolutely. needed. And we wanted to hear your story and um, maybe get some tips and advice on what could get them Sure. Through the fear of taking on that task. So why don't we start with your story? What what got you into um, the financial career? So um, I went to Portland State. It kind of started in the college area uh, of my life. I um, had taken a lot of French, like an IB French course, and I was actually in the third year French class when I was at Portland State as a freshman. And you know how they make you take all those silly elective classes? So I had to, um, I signed up for an accounting 101 class. And um, I think that was like a catalyst for me because um, with accounting, the thing that I, it just clicked for me was that everything had a place. There was a place for everything. It was very formulaic. Everything balanced. There was reconciliation, all these things that just kind of like, oh, it, it, it had purpose and it had intention and it was something that was very, very organized, right? And so, um, and then I would say the French, the language side of my brain. So I, I think I was just enhancing both sides of my brain because of the creativity and the language and um, so I, you know, as soon as I took that first class at the end of that um, semester, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, who doesn't need a French speaking CPA, right? I mean, that's, that's a good thing. Especially um, so in the Northwest. Pers- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, it gave me all kinds of opportunities to go to France, I suppose, and do some accounting work. I don't know what I was thinking, but you know, you're young and you're eager and hopeful and all those things. So um, I ended up with a business, uh, you know, minor. I was a language uh, bachelor of arts and then a, a business minor. So the two just really fit my style, fit my my personality. And so um, the last year of uh, college, I was married, and my mom-in-law um, loved her to pieces. She uh, set me up with an internship with her CPA firm, the firm that she was using for her taxes. And um, so I worked there for a year, uh, and believe it or not, in, I was running deposits for small businesses of those clients. I was answering phones. I was working with Lotus spreadsheets. You know, that's how old I am. So um, I just learned all the back-end admin operation kind of stuff. I really wasn't working with 
clients per se. Um, I'd answer the phones and know about customer service in that manner. But I wasn't working in casework. And at that point, I was just feeling um, antsy to get to it, right? And so um, lo and behold, uh, I ended up giving my resume to uh, the lobby of that building had a first interstate bank. And they, I got to know the gals that work there, and I ended up just giving them my resume. It was an exercise in, you know, how to get life skills as you are, you know, putting your trenches into the into the real world. And not within even a couple of days, they call me and ask me to come be a personal banker uh, and work for the bank. So that kind of just set my course in action. I thought um, it kind of stopped me from wanting to pursue the CPA. Um, and in those days, I always say banking was just like they, they, everyone did everything for any client. If you had the client was upset about something, you had the authority to reverse a fee. If, if you, if they had an issue with some documentation, you just call the department, you could talk to the VP and just get it straight. And so, you know, in hindsight, I always say that it was just the best place to have that training about service and um, just exceptional, over-exceeding clients' expectations and just really never letting anyone walk out of the branch mad or dissatisfied. And so that in of itself, I was there for eight years and I really just excelled and became a branch manager. Um, Wells Fargo was about to take over. It was a hostile takeover, actually. And I just remember thinking, I, at that time then, I had a three-year-old son. And um, I'm like, I'm working 70 hours. I was a branch manager over near the Lloyd Center area of uh, Portland. And um, there was a mandate that came out that said we we're going to open banks on Saturdays. And I was like, it killed me because I was like, I'm already working all these hours. I drop my son off at seven in the morning, get to see him late at night, you know, maybe an hour before I have to put him to bed. And it was just the grind that that we do as moms, right? We just, we do what we need to do to get things, uh, you know, handled. So I decided that um, one of the little fax machine, uh, little, you know, the thermal papers that would just be unpiled on the floor in the morning when I opened up the branch, there was one that I had laid out and it said that they were actually looking for people to volunteer to take a buyout. And depending on how many years of service and all of that, you could sign this form and you could get you know, get some time and pay like a me. severance package kind of exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I calculated how much that would be for myself. I called my husband, but I was like the first in line because I was just like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I guess I, you know, this was like probably in the early 90s. I was just like, I was about self care back then. I was like, I need time. I need time to want unwind. I want to spend time with my family. I want to be able to still have a really nice career. So what I ended up doing is I ended up getting about four months severance. And um, I just answered a bunch of ads in the Oregonian. Again, I'm dating myself, but we had real newspapers that we had <laughs> ad columns in. And I, you know, it's like, I say these things and sometimes the millennials look at me and I'm like, what the hell is I feel about? like, I feel anyway, like, so saying, tell us about the good old days, Lisa. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I know. Well, I am 55, but I think I'm thinking like a 30 year old, you know, anyway. So, um, I got, I got an, a job if you will, but I ended up being a financial advisor with a, a, a company that's still around. They're a great company. Um, but again, that to me, I, in in retrospect, it was really hindsight for um, 
training for, it was like 18 months in a really good company that just kind of gave me all of the tools in my toolbox. Can you say um, what company it was? Yeah, it was Waddell and Reed. And like I said, they're a great company. I learned a lot about financial planning. I really learned all about the products. Um, they've changed quite a bit. I've been doing this now for 21 years. So, uh, you know, the, the industry changes, but there are some things that stay the same. And so what I've found in my 20 years and the reason I even got me to the point of being my own financial firm called My Financial Girlfriend is because I just think the industry is a little bit dysfunctional. They really, they're in it to sell products, which is ultimately the goal, but they miss a lot of steps in between when it means talking to people, especially women. I think um, there's been articles out even just recently that says, um, uh, women are the secret weapon. We, we have intuition about how to, find cheaper deals, right? We're always looking for the discounts, the discounts on top of the discounts. Uh, we know instinctually that we have to stretch our dollars further for our families. Um, so we look for, and, and we talk amongst each other, right? We're always telling each other, you know, hey, I got a really good deal over here. And and so we're just, you know, we're, we're just always about saving ourselves money and time and in inefficiency and and sometimes it may not feel that way because you're in that grind that I was talking about before but what I found is that being a financial advisor I really feel I feel compelled to work for all the other 98% that don't already have the zeros and commas in their net worth right and I don't even fish that out first I think our industry is really taught to see if you're worthy or if you're worth their time, and if there's value enough for them to even work with you. And I think that's the biggest dysfunction. I, that's my rant of the day, is I really think that it, everything should be based on the client's timeline, and it's education that we've never been exposed to as Americans. We are so poorly educated. We, we're learning, you know, I was just watching a video, um, and it, you know, we're taught to get a job, do good work, and then, and then hope, you know, it's a prayer and a hope on whether or not we're going to end up okay. The wealthy think differently than our other 98%. And it's because um, they, have a, they have a thriving mentality. And a lot of us get in this trap of just trying to survive. survive. Just try, I mean, I can't tell you how many clients will say to me, you know, I'm sometimes cashing out pop cans just to get gas in my car to go pick up my paycheck. And so we just are never thought, we never proactively or think that planning is hard, right? I always say uh, in some of my workshops, it's like me saying, hey, it's a gorgeous Saturday. Let's go clean out your garage. And everybody goes, ah, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go um, hiking. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd much rather do anything but work on my finances. And we think of it as work and we think of it as arduous. And what I think I want to bring to the table, and I think I get a lot of uh, kudos for this, is just to make it fun, make it strategic. It's like starting that first time you ever remember uh, playing the game of Monopoly. You know, you have the cute little dog and you have the race car and you're trying to go around go. But if you think about it, you're trying to buy property and leverage your resources. And so all those things that we had as the childlike kid in us that wanted to win the game, we lose that along the way. And so I want to build in financial curiosity 
And I think especially for women, and I and I love men. I've been married to one for 32 years. <laughs> I am all inclusive, we love right? Men too. <laughs> we love men too. I love my men. Uh, but I think that as women, we let things happen to us and we're we're seen or uh, perceived as, you know, cranky or grumpy if we just ask for what we need and ask for what we deserve. And that is the biggest aha that I get from my clients. I want to help. I want to help keep people sleep better at night. I want divorces to go down because of healthier conversations around how everyone can get what they want. And I think poverty, it's a huge, huge, I mean, we, we, kind of blind eye towards poverty. And I think that if we had real education, fundamental tips on ways that we can really make our dollars work harder for us than we have to do it for the dollar, then we would just have a much more proactive and kinder, gentler economy. And I really think, you know, there's a whole thing about conscious capitalism and uh, kindness and, you know, economic kindness. And those are the things I think also the thing that I love is there's a lot of studies out there right now for women and good women that do have make good money. I'll say it over again. Good women that make good money do good things. They do good things for themselves and their families and their loved ones, and they do good things for the world and their, and their community. And so um, that truly is, you know, that's my end game. If there is such a thing. Um, and the cool, the cool part for me is that I will do a workshop. I'll, I, I have a couple of different ones that I do. And one is called Girls Just Want to Have Funds. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't exclude the men because men actually comment to me that, gosh, if my wife made as much as I did or we may even made more, I mean, think of how much more things that they could do as a family or do it for their kids. And, and I, want, I also want families to think of generational wealth, how Europeans think of their money. They don't think about, like, they think about how their money can last longer than their lives and how much more it can serve others going forward. So these are thoughts and processes that I don't see in the American culture at all. There's so much to unpack here. I feel like I, I have like, so many questions. So many questions. Do you want to start, Sarah, or do you want me to? Um, I think you touched on something that I think is so important, which is education brings, um, when you, I was just looking at a website today and they were saying how to have a community grow um, economically, you need mm -hmm. to start with education. Yep. And also education um, takes away the, oh, what is the word? how intimidated you feel about mm -hmm. math or about finances. And I think that is um, so important. It so, is. Sarah, think oh, back on that article that we had in our original business plan where it was talking about, I, I, think, I think the percentage was 23. 23% of women these days, these days in 2019, do not know anything about their family finances. <laughs> I feel like as a, a woman, and I don't, I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I was told, and this could be just my microculture I was raised in, but that, um, that we're just right-brained women, you know, people, and that like STEM activities or uh, math, or it's just not in our brain. 
you know, and so I felt like I was kind of pushed away from that. Um, And then that whole area of education just became so intimidating to me Mm -hmm. that I gave up our household finances and everything to my husband for him to just look after and take care of. Yeah. It's a lot easier now if there's automatic payments for everything. (laughs) Right. Well, and I find that um, two things that you said there, Sarah, was that when women, especially when women have that, you know, we're nurturers. I mean, again, generally speaking, um, but I actually kind of feel like I would, maybe I was an an anomaly in my own, my own uh, species, but I, I loved math because of the fact that it was, there was always an answer. And so, um, in fact, I use that as an example with my daughter. I have a son and I have a daughter. My daughter was uh, in third grade, so she's about nine, ten years old. She was struggling. She was sitting at the kitchen table, just really huffing and puffing and really struggling with the math assignment. And I kind of brought my computer over by the dining table and sat with her and just kept asking her and poking her a little bit about questions. And then finally, I just said, you know, just turn it over, flip it over and take a break. And And she's like, oh, you mean I don't have to do it? I said, no, just take a break. And I do remember as a mom, I'm like, I have to, how can I help her get to a place of just starting to realize that there is hope or there is a pathway? And that's what I was using the word pathway. And so, and at that time she loved watching the the cooking shows and the cake wars and the cupcake shows and all of that stuff. Are you sure your daughter's not my daughter? Yeah, no, well, my daughter, I would rather have her watching those shows than the Hannah Montana's, I guess, is that (laughs) I was what I was saying. And so I just said, Hey, go to the kitchen, grab a big bowl of water and all the measuring cups that you can find and just bring it over here. And she did that. And I said, um, because I could see she was the problems that she was working on were story problems, which are, I think, probably the hardest. Um, And so she, I said, hey, well, well, with this picture, just um, get me, you know, take all the water that you can with the different cups and give me four cups of water. Go to the, the number four on this, on this, you know, the Pyrex uh, cup thing. And I'm not a cook, obviously. Anyway, <laughs> and she goes, okay. And she takes a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. And I'm like, awesome. That's perfect. Write it down. So she did one plus one cup plus all that. And got to court. And so I said, okay, now I took the one cup away from her and I said, now, and dumped the water out, now get to the number four again with different cups. And so she did a variety of ways to, you know, thirds and quarters and she did it and she was having a ball. I mean, she was just like, oh my gosh, my mom's making me play with water at the dining table, right? So, um, so then I just said, okay, let's shove it all aside. Now I got to put, you know, put the homework back over the shoulders go down. And even in that body language, I realized that, you know, she doesn't have that, that you, you mentioned about just feeling, you know, that you're not, you're not understood or it's just too hard or there's, you know, education to me and the knowledge does take away those fears and that anxiety. And so once I got her to the place where, um, I said, just take it one sentence at a time and draw over to the side what it means to you. And I, and I remember, you know, it was a while ago, but I do remember her, you know, it was cats and mice and cheese and they had to, you know, combination of how you got to this number. And so she was drawing kitty cat faces and drawing the mice and drawing the pieces of cheese. And um, she got the answer. Like after about 15 minutes, we, she worked it all through and she showed her work and she got the right answer. And I said, see, 
That's just how you're going to do it. I go, now think about all the ways that your measuring cups got you to the number four. Think about how many times you had to rewrite and erase and rewrite and erase, but you got to the right number of this question. Um, here's my computer, and I actually turned my laptop around to her, and I said, hey, will you help me figure out how I can save this file to the desktop and not inside of the C drive? And she goes, oh, mom, that's easy, and click, 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 clock, you know, it's done, drop, swag and drop. And I said, I go, listen to me, Pearl. I think your teacher wants you to know that there's multiple different ways to get to the right answer, but your way is the way your brain thinks, and it's not always the way I would do it, and it's not the way maybe your friends would do it, but what I'll do is, what, we, what you should do is go in a little bit early before class and show them your work and ask them if there was a different, if something else that you were, he was trying to teach you just didn't end up on your paper. Maybe that now that you've got the right answer, you have, you have the encouragement to ask more questions so that you can maybe see the way he was trying to get you to understand it. Because how many ways can you get to the number four? And she looks at me and she goes, you know, she looks at her paper and she just stops and she goes, infinity. <laughs> and I said, absolutely. And beyond. And beyond, right? And I was just like, you know, and I can tell you to this day, she still doesn't love math, but she has, she has a different perspective, which all is all I want to do for my clients. That's all I want to do is just, it's, you know, I would say, if I can do it, people, <laughs> it's not rocket science. I, I think some of the barriers to our industry is that if they make it, you have to, you have to, you know, prove your worth. You have to prove that, that you're valuable to the other advisor's time um, and that their way, you know, they're higher than you. So you're at seeking their, even the word advisor kind of makes me mad because it's like, how about a guidance counselor or how about somebody who's a consultant? Because your, both of your ways are going to be completely different, but we can all understand the same strategies and how it's going to be applicable to our lives. And that's really the, the crux of how I try to help people understand on their terms. That's awesome. Let me tell you about my first financial advisor experience because it was terrible. I'm sure you hear this a lot. Um, Every day. <laughs> my husband and I were newlyweds, like like couple months being married newlyweds. And a family friend wanted to talk to us about finances. And we were like, that's fine. And it went down this whole path of fear. It was, your husband's going to die. You're going to have nothing. You're, you won't be able to put food on the table. And even if he doesn't die, you're never going to retire because you don't. So if you don't pay $1,500 right now, yeah. your yeah. future is over. And it really felt like that. Like we, after that, we were like, we're doomed. We're doomed. And we were 23. Like there's no reason why we should have been so fearful, but we wrote a check out right then. It was just over a thousand dollars for the initial whatever. And it was going to be like $600 a month from then on out. We, we were working like minimum wage jobs, newlyweds in school. And the, we, so the guy walked it, you know, he left, we're sitting there left at the kitchen table, just staring at each other. Like, what have we gotten ourselves into? <laughs> Should we oh just go get, you know, the pills and some, and some razor blades right now? Right? Yes. Right. And, and I, we finally, like, I oh, was probably three hours later. We were like, what did we just do? And so 
we tried to call him and asked him to rip up the check and that this just wasn't for us and we needed to take a break and a breather. And of course, he doubled down on the, if you don't start now, if you start in five years, you'll have half the retirement. If you start in 10 years, you'll have $2,000 to your name by the time you die. You know what I mean? Like it just was this fear based financial planning that was so off-putting to us that we actually didn't even consider doing financial planning for a whole decade after that because we were so put off by the if you don't do this now thing you're dead and it was just so sad i'm sure that's not what you do but that was like all what i do yeah it's not at all what i do i think i think i am unique because i came from I, I say I'm, I am a tax geek and that's where the CPA thing probably came to light for me the most in all of my, um, in all of my career. Um, but I, you know, I hear this every, I, I hear a version of this in some way, shape or form on the daily. And the sick thing about that is like, it's like they turn financial planning, which is a noble profession to get people along a path on their terms. That's my version of it. They turn it into like a timeshare cell and it drives me nuts. And I'm thinking, how, 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 why is it people, you know, I don't know if you guys network or if you go to, uh, you know, go a lot of networking things, but I I remember early days of being an, an advisor, fully licensed, ready to go, you know, build my book of business, all that kind of stuff. And I just remember shaking my hand. Hi, I'm Lisa. You know, what is it you do? The minute I, they asked me what I did, my stomach sank because I knew that the reaction was going to be aversion, <laughs> plague. She's going to take something from me. Maybe I should watch my watch and my wrist. I mean, it was really, really just, uh, it's just so dysfunctional. And I don't know that anything has changed in any of the training for new advisors, even to this date. I think the, uh, the whole premise, I mean, and, and my financial girlfriend literally just flew out of my mouth one afternoon. I was at a, uh, I, w- I just turned 50 and I think maybe I had a little more spunk in my step and I had gotten pulled. I, I signed up for a raffle and uh, a ticket would be pulled impromptu for a minute at the mic in front of 200 businesswomen. And I was one of the first people to pulled. <laughs> and again, it was, it was a different kind of sinking of stomach. It was like, oh, God, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> no kidding. And, <laughs> and I really, I mean, I was perfectly content to work with my, I was happy. I was, you know, probably 17 years in the business. I had really good referral sources. I work with people who I like and who like me. We kind of fish that out right from the beginning because I'm not for everyone. I understand that. I'm kind of a lot. You know, I'm a hugger. I'm very touchy-feely. I'm very emotion. Uh, I want to be aware of emotions. I don't think I, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily emotional in the negative way, but I want to feel people's feels. I want to be able to understand where they're coming from so that we can apply uh, relevant information so that it's digestible. And then guess what? I give them credit for critical thinking. They can now make a decision with really standing strong and knowing what all the things out there that aren't for them and narrowing it down to the things that they think are going to be the most flexible, the least in fees, the way that they can actually put money aside, even if it's only 25 bucks a month to start. All of these things are just preparedness to, to move towards something that we want to then you know, I get, want to continue. And it, you know, I always think of a diet as a, you know, budget and diet. It's kind of in both the same words. 
not for me. But if somebody told me that I had a range, like if you can, you know, tell me I can have these many calories to this kind of calories, then I'll kind of keep that on track. Or if I have to eat so many proteins a day or just give me, I guess, you know, for me, it's the number. And if somebody realized that about me, if I found a nutritionist and said, yeah, Lisa, if you really have to have that mocha every morning, just realize that you just have to have like a cup of yogurt to go with it. And that's all you can get for your meal. And I'd be totally fine with that. But, but that's how I see myself is that it's not, you know, $1,500 and $600 for the rest of your life. Because if you only make minimum wage, how are you going to pay your rent? And that's, again, that to me is like, we have a fiduciary responsibility to make things uh, easy for clients. And, and I, you know, somebody says, how much do I need to retire by the time I'm 55? I don't know. Are you going to live? You know, are you going to live off the grid in Montana in a shack? Are you going to go live in Costa Rica where, you know, you can buy three times the amount on the same dollar? I don't know. We just, we, and I don't know that anybody can predict that when you're 23 years old, right? right? Nobody can predict that. So it has to be, it has to be a plan that can grow with you. And it's your plan. It's not, it's me helping you. It's like the roadmap. You know, you're the driver's. And I'm just the navigator and I can show you that we can go by bicycle or we can go by train or we can take an airplane and all those variety of transportation methods are those that counts to me of how we're going to, how, and, and worlds are going to change, taxes are going to change. There's nothing that's so certain that we can't have flexibility built in. And I think that's the, that's the missing link in a lot of the way the advisors are trained nowadays is to sell product, keep the products pushed and, and don't even, you know, somebody might say, well, how much should I pay in taxes? Well, go talk to your CPA about that because I don't do anything around taxes. But you know what? A lot of our products that we use as financial advisors have tax elements in them. We yeah. have to know tax code to help those that are self-employed. We have yeah. to know tax code to know to somebody who is W-2'd and has a household of four. So there's, you know, I just think they push, you know, they push a lot of the responsibility onto other professionals. And I can tell you that I'm not a CPA and I don't do taxes, but I will pick up a phone and talk to that person's CPA because I kind of talk the lingo and ask, what are, how much should they deposit or how much should they make on their W-4 so they can figure out how much their taxes should be instead of getting a $2,000 refund and they could use another $100 a month in their cash flow. So all of these pieces to me are integral. They're, they're interdependent and they are, um, and they're derived by the client's goals and needs and and, you know, I guess one of the things that I love the most is that um, a couple of compliments that I get the most is I sleep better at night, just knowing that I have a plan around debt. Like sometimes debt is the only thing we're talking about in two or three, four sessions um, because, you know, nobody's really taught. They, you know, there's these woulda, coulda, shouldas out there. Especially you hear it on the TV and the commercials all the time. And I'll say, you know what? You're in survival mode. And, and yeah, and I, again, I'll see people who may not have more than two nickels to rub together and they have $30,000 in credit card debt. And, but I work with people who make half a mil plus bonuses at companies like HP and Nike, and they have 70 or $80,000 on credit card debt. So that just tells me again, as Americans, nobody's given us the secret, you know, juice 
right. to figure our secret sauce to figure out why we get ourselves into this, what we, you know, and then the guilt shows up and the, and the anxiety and the stress and then, and like, and then guess what? Life will happen and something else unexpected, you know, somebody, the car breaks down right when you have the washing machine being fixed and you don't have the resources. So again, I just think of money as a tool and I want people to realize that, um, there's just, there's so many ways to get to the same answer for them. It's just, I may throw a couple of ideas at them and one really stick. And, and a lot of times it's just getting into a healthier foundation and having a, a good relationship with our money because it's a tool. Money doesn't have emotion. Money doesn't care. Money sits there or it doesn't. And we just need to know how to approach it in a different manner. And that's the thing that I think we, we do the best in our company. And that's I would say, really cool. girlfriend back. Girlfriend's got your back. If girlfriend has your back, you can, everything's private and confidential, and you still want to hug her if you see her in the grocery store. Yeah. And, you and relaxed. It and kind of feels like a relaxed feel yeah. versus a going into the principal's office kind of feel like we're going to get in trouble for oh. all the financial decisions we've made. Yeah. Exactly. Versus Everybody's trying to shake it. I'm like, no, 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 let's just figure this out kind of thing. I love that. How would you approach a woman that comes? to you that says, I am taking this over um, in my household duties or finances, yeah. or I'm just newly divorced. So this is all new to me. It's super intimidating. Yeah. Um, what are some of the first things you would go over with her or talk to her about? Yeah. Well, first, I just wa I want to have conversation about what likes and dislikes. Like, um, I have a client who actually is going through that right, that very thing right now. And, um, you know, and she's like, I, I'm not, you know, thank God I haven't had to write a check in the last 20 years, but what do I do when I have to pay the garbage bill or what do I do when I have? So I just have them and basically it's, it, they just bring in all of their, like a bank statement or two or wherever things come out of. And I have something, I do have something called the girlfriend budget. Um, and it's not one that I've ever seen out there before. Um, but it's basically, we look at all the things, the bills that always show up, the fixed things, you know, the utility bills, the cell phone, the insurance, all the things that always show up every month. And we just write it down and we put the due dates and we put the amounts. Um, one thing that I think that can cause, uh, one tip, if you will, that can really cause people less anxiety and especially women that are trying to take this, you know, take this job and responsibility over is just um, utility bills will actually help you do equal pay. So instead of having a really high bill in the winter and a lower bill in the summer, you call up your company and ask them to put you on equal pay. So that each month, they look at the last 12 months divided by 12, and then they, there's a reconciliation point that's usually just a few dollars up or down. And what they want you to do is just anything that you can do in your fixed budget that's consistent, that you, can, that you have control over keeping things as consistent as possible. Then we look at all the other things that, li that life throws at you, right? We got to eat, we got to drive somewhere or gas or transportation, um, you know, dog, dogs, cats, pets, um, kids, you know, baseball season versus football season. How am I going to get all the equipment ready or how much do I have to pay to get them on the team and all that. So we look at just things that will show up once in a while or, or seasonally, again, Christmas versus, you know, um, nothing that's going on during this, maybe summer camps during the summer. So all these things that we look at 
are, are more of the miscellaneous, I call them miscellaneous, but it really is just the life things, the support and the, the lifestyle. And we, we break those in that range I was talking about. Like I have a family, um, the woman I was just talking about, she has a son and um, he's a growing son. He's a middle schooler. And she goes, I could, you know, I could get by with a Burgerville, you know, hamburger and fries. And now he, you know, he's eating steak, you know, 20, he'd, he'd eat 20, 72 ounce steak at Sailor's Kitchen, you know? Um, and so she's like, how do I deal with this? And so we talked about how to, how to, and, and, and I'm not a nutritionist, obviously, but I was just on the financial side of it. I was just like, well, let's, why don't you do this? Let's either look back at the last 30 days of how that transpired and what, what your range was like, you know, maybe when you're taking them to football practice, instead of dropping off, maybe you make them three sandwiches to get them through and then come home for dinner or something. You know, we were just talking about ways that that could be feasible for her to do and not feel like she's financially strapped just to make sure that the kids fed well. And so, um, and I said, well, maybe some months it's going to, you know, like maybe the months that he's going to be at his dad's during the summer, you know, maybe that's the same money that you're spending now. Just, you know, if you're only spending half as much, still take that extra half that you're not spending and put it in. I got to feed my kid account when he comes back in September. Right. So we just, I, I, I am like, you asked me a how question and my brain cannot stop thinking about answers and solutions of how to get to a place. And, um, I've come up with the wackiest ideas, which actually I have several clients doing. And one is a spending account, you know? So in your scenario about a divorced lady, she goes, you know, I'm used to buying the, you know, the coach purses and I like buying my labels and my name brands. And um, I have a wonderful woman who works with us, Christine, and she is a diva on a dime. She goes out to Marshall's and comes back with Calvin Klein and all these great brands. And so, you know, uh, again, as women, we figure it out. And so I, I don't want her to feel deprived. That's another part of that budget. People feel like I'm restricted and now I can't, I work hard, but now I can't spend the money the way I want to. And let's just set up a savings account just so you can maybe with a separate debit card and that's your spending money. You know, maybe you have to wait until it gets to 100, 125 or 500, whatever that amount is for you. But, but that's the, that's the no guilt. I'm going shopping. I'm going to the outlet malls or I'm going to go to my favorite store, the tailor and get a tailor made dress or blouse. I mean, all of these things are things that, um, we take it bit by bit, Sarah, if that helps answer your question, it shouldn't be, I don't want to have anybody walk out of here crying because they're overwhelmed. I want them crying because they realize that there's that they're relieved (laughs) and relief and there's always a girlfriend's got their back. They can always ask questions. I have a, actually a Pinterest page for my financial girlfriend that talks about how to save money fast. Like, oh, and, and speaking to that, we had um, the same lady. She needed to come up with $500 right away to do the retainer to start the divorce proceedings. And she's like, Lisa, you know, I have $111 in my checking account. What am I going to do? I can't wait ye- another year. I can't wait to get that what should I do? And we just resourced and talked it through to see that she actually felt that she could save 500. And there's, um, one of my plans was, it was like one week you're saving 30, one week you're saving 40, one week you, 
fines, $80. So we were kind of mapping it out. And in the end of like eight weeks, we figured out that she could have um, $500 available to her. So Wow. That's really cool. Do you work with people online or only in person? I work with people online. Um, I am registered, uh, licensed uh, advisor in 10 states in the United States. Wow. Um, my goal with, yeah, was my goal with financial girlfriend is to have as I wanted to, I, I guess one of my philosophies is approachability, accessibility, and every American deserves the right to sit down with a financial advisor without any out-of-pocket fees whatsoever. And so I want as many financial girlfriend centers that there are Starbucks. I want people just to oh, feel you're gonna they like have a safe place grow to, to other places. That's really Absolutely. cool. I like that. Yes. So yeah, anybody who wants to come in, they get time to sit down. We can look at all the hot spots or the areas that they have the biggest concerns. Um, and we get, it's a process. I work with people, you know, sometimes three or four, five, six times before actual, you know, any compensation happens because we're really, really sorting out how to get them financially organized in their most efficient manner. That's really cool. So, yeah. so this has been so informative and I hate to like wrap it up, but we do try to keep the episodes under an hour. Yeah. Why don't you give us um, maybe like your top two or three quick tips that people maybe just don't think about that is stuff you can start right away to get your financial okay. life in order? Yeah. First thing that comes to mind is uh, credit card debt. And if somebody, uh, there's been a lot of studies, and I find this to be very true when I ask these types of questions, but most women will, uh, if your bill shows up on Visa and you owe $79 as the minimum payment, um, if we have it, we'll round it up. We'll round it up to 80, at least 80, or we'll round it up to 100. Or somebody, if, if we get, oh, we get a tax refund, let's throw $2,000 on a credit card bill. And what I ask is, does it ever feel like your credit card, like even with the extra payments, does it ever feel like it's not quite really ever going down significantly? And the answer I use is, yeah, what is going on? Like I'm putting lots of extra money towards this. And what's happening is in 2000, there was the Federal Credit Act lobbied uh, Congress. Well, uh, financial institutions that had credit cards lobbied Congress to take uh, interest rates on the credit cards, which at that time were about 12%. And they, they had been applying it by uh, doing a monthly annualized uh, accrual, okay? And they, uh, in, that, in that act, they said, well, let's divide it by 365 days. So it became a daily compound yield against your outstanding balance. So the way it worked, if you put extra, so let's take that 79 with $100, ex, you know, putting it up to 100 so it's really, what, $21 extra in payment. Um, if you pay that in one payment, what the credit card companies do, and you can look at your statements, we have to verify this because most all do this, not all, there are a few exceptions, but they will take that extra $21 and they prorate it back to the previous 31 days and your maybe only $4 of your 21 was actually applied to the principal. Everything else went and got glommed into the interest. This is so wrong. It's criminal. <laughs> So I'm kind of the upset way to right now. 
I know. So the way to force the stop, you, I do that. Work? I'm a rounder upper. I am definitely a rounder. We upper. all do it. I would say 98% of us do it. If there's a chance to pay extra, we always just round it up. Um, even like the grocery stores, not that you write a lot of checks anymore, but we, you know, if it's 49.62, we'll just make it $50. Right. So anyway, um, so what you do to stop that, there's the, you, you force a principal only payment because what our minds are thinking is that extra has to be going to principal, but no, they've got that 365 days going against you. And so everything that was accrued before the statement showed up is going to go to interest first. And then the, whatever is not paid through those 30 days goes to the principal. What you do is you pay the $79 on or before the due date. As soon as you pay that 79, wait one or two days, and now they can only capture what they've accrued against you because you forced the stop when you made the minimum. And now the 21 days, or sorry, $21 will now be applied because there's only two days of interest that was accrued. And so now you flipped it. Now you've got $3 going to interest and $18, if I did my math right, to the principal. So it's a forced Robert. stop. Robert. So you pay your you pay the minimum principal or minimum payment on wait two days the, and yep. then pay the extra. <laughs> yes. Okay. And now those balances start chunking down. Like you know, believe I mean, honestly, I have a report that I do for my clients. It's called the debt matrix. Uh, no charge, no fee. But if I can help them get a plan around their debt, this report that I give to them is all of their credit cards, all of the payments, and all of the extra that we have been paying. Because like if we have three cards, we're trying to we're trying to hit the highest interest and we're trying to hit the one with the heavier balance and we're trying to wait sometimes it's just spaghetti at the wall. We don't really know, you know, we know we're putting extra, but we don't know how it's being affected. It's just math. So now I give them this report and it says starting in May, you're gonna pay credit card number one this amount, and that's minimum or a little bit extra. You're gonna pay credit card number two this amount, and, you're, and then it shows you the payoff rate, and it's like an upside down ladder. And so you see that literally you're taking it, shaving it down by anywhere from two thirds to half the time to pay it off. So it's it's pretty astonishing. It's it helps people. I blow people's minds, and that to me is like magic. <laughs> you're blowing my mind, and making me want to be a lobbyist against credit card because that is so wrong. It's so it's wrong. They know that people are paying extra to get the ballot. Like they yeah. know that. The studies Rude. were actually conducted by, um, it was a women's study uh, by the a school of Wart, uh, business school of Wharton, Wharton school of business, sorry. And um, women round up women will um, sometimes, you know, I don't know if uh, people get into where they like, maybe they have a $4,000 credit card balance. And then they always put $1,000 of their gas and their food and stuff. And then they just pay the $1,000 thinking they're paying off just what they put on. And it's not first on, first off. It's not. It's, a, it's like your balance went up to $5,000. Now you're paying $1,000. It's still going to be accrued against the interest. And very little of your 1000 went to the 1000 that you just charged on it. So we have to rearrange. We have to tweak things a little bit in their style of using the credit, use the credit cards, but we just have to change the mannerisms of which you're going to get more benefit from. Right. And that's why, um, yeah, I just, I, I am, I, I, people don't believe me when I say this and I say, just try it for a month or two and then let's line up your previous credit card statements to the ones that we're doing it this way. And let's just see, cause you know, 
and I'll say it's like a magician, you know, I don't know how tricks work, but they always seem to work. It's like, I just look at it and, or we can look at previous statements and see how it was, how the interest was applied versus the principal. So that's credit card, card companies. I've seen now uh, um, mortgage statements doing that. I had a gentleman in here and he was really, I disheartened him and sadly, but it, it, he was putting $50 a month extra in his mortgage payment every month for eight years. And we added all of that up and that $50 hardly, I mean, it helped him pay his interest, but he gets that as a tax write-off anyway. Right. So it did not really help the principal whatsoever. Well, we're going to end you on that piece of advice because I think that's a huge chunk for people to look at and to delve into. And then we're going to have to have you back because I feel like there's just too much information that we need to extrapolate. Is that a word? Yeah, that's the tip of the iceberg. I mean, as my debt, like if I help people with debt, the good people goes, well, I had somebody challenge me. I know that we're going over, but somebody challenged, a woman came up to me and said, uh, you don't make any money when you help me figure out my credit cards. What's the deal? And I'm like, the deal is if you had extra $500 a month, you would invest it. Yeah. Then, well, and you don't even have to invest all of it. Let's just get something started. You know, let's just start, start with a small amount and get used to it because it's, again, it's like something that it's foreign to us to save money for ourselves before the bills are paid. And I want both. I want people to pay their bills and have enough later so the credit cards don't keep piling up because you, what will happen is you get them all paid off and then another emergency shows up in life. My cat gets sick or whatever. And then I have to like throw $2,000 somewhere and it ends up on the credit card. So in the same time that we are paying down debt, I'm showing them how maybe even $50 a month over seven years now gives them a chunk of money in reserves so that they don't have to keep. Now they use the credit cards for rewards and pay it off every month. Right. So those are the, those are the challenges. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming (laughs) on Lisa. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you guys. And thank you so much for, for finding me through Facebook and, (laughs) Letting me put my little two cents in. Awesome.